welcome to this month's episode of Invasion of the Potty People, your monthly dose of what's going on in the world of horror. We are four, a band of four who love horror films and are going to tell you what we're excited about that's coming up, what we've been watching and listening to and reading that we think is utterly fabulous. So uh, let's introduce ourselves. First up, we've got James Rodriguez, and I hope you're all staying safe out there and wearing your fucking masks. And then we've got next to him is... It's Chloe, and I second what James said. (laughs) Wise words. And we've also got... Hello, Vincent here. I'm in a place where there are 16 panes of glass. I've counted them. Now I'm wondering what to call them. But I'm not going crazy. Oh, no! And there's me, Russell, who's hoping that these other three people aren't a figment of my imagination, because if they are, it's not surprising. Uh, So this is 2021, but it turns out that it's about as bad as 2020 was at the end. And we, uh, before we start talking about horror, I just want to know how everyone is doing, how everyone is coping and what you're watching, reading, playing to de-stress in this time, because... If you live in the UK or in America where there was an attempted coup, you're or really anywhere in the world right now. You're going to be kind of a bit stressed. So uh, I am, how I'm doing is okay. I'm having to wrangle homeschooling and working from home again. And it's kind of a lot, but this week is better than last week. So I take positives, positives from that. And my daughter is being surprisingly fabulous. She's only cried once and I've only cried once so we're all right uh what am i doing to de-stress um i am watching most days a studio ghibli film for my other podcasting project and they are wonderful and delightful and most of them on netflix so go off and watch them they're all either these wonderfully small intimate tales that don't really have much plot but are beautiful to watch or they're these big epic films about the end of the world and about our relationship with nature and machines and everything else and so they straddle both ends and they're great and the other thing i'm doing is i'm basically every night watching an old episode of taskmaster so i hadn't watched taskmaster till till last year till the last series so i'm currently watching the james a caster philip wang series and it's a lot of fun and it's just the kind of thing that i need so james how are you doing I'm doing okay, all things considering. I'm just trying to get by, and in terms of what I'm doing to take my mind off it, a lot of the time I'm playing on my Nintendo Switch, just losing myself in Pokemon Swords, a bit of Mario Kart 8, some Animal Crossing New Horizons. Hey, Nintendo, sponsor us! (laughs) And uh, that's not all. I'm also watching a ton of films. There's not really a lot of consistency to what I'm watching, but I am trying to get through the filmography of one Mr. Nicolas Cage. So far, that's got me with Leaving Las Vegas and Left Behind. So it could be better, but you know what? It's a start. I'm making my way to the good stuff sooner rather than later. And that's what I'm I doing. hope you watch The Wicker Man soon, because <laughs> that needs to be seen as someone who loves the original. And doesn't love the remake. That needs to be seen. Chloe, how are you doing? <laughs> Not great, but uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> um, so stuff I've been doing, I've just been watching comfort shows. Like I've watched Julian the Phantoms like three times since it came out and Gossip Girl and Taskmaster again, which is like the one show that just makes me absolutely crack up. Listening to the radio, writing a little bit, knitting blankets for people I love and lying in bed and ignoring my phone. Things I love to do. So, yeah. Smart. And uh, finally, Vincent, how are you? I'm I'm actually pretty good. Um, it's uh, I have um, this well in the past uh, week and a half. I've actually started a new job, and I kind of start another one next week. <clears throat> Congrats! After being out of work for four months, um, actually getting back to work, even though I'm still stuck at home all the time, has been something of a relief. So I'm glad to be back in the saddle. Did I say saddle? I meant harness. Um, in terms of uh, chilling out, I um, I continue to exercise. Um, I've I think I've mentioned on previous episodes. It's deeply ironic that it took um, a pandemic and lockdown to get me into the best physical shape I've ever been in, and now I look forward to running my five k every other day. Um, it's very strange. Um, something else I've started doing recently that I used to do quite a lot is playing chess. And um, if anyone out there has seen the Queen's Gambit. Um, which I expect quite a lot of us have, um, it actually reignited my interest in chess. So I've been playing that quite a bit. And something I think I will do, which um, might seem a bit odd, is I may go back to um, nature documentaries. When I was growing up, I always watched no end of um, nature documentaries. I like to say, before Richard, there was David, Attenborough, if anyone was wondering. Um, And uh, there's this new series on the BBC Nature of um, uh, Perfect Planet, which looks um, really interesting. I'm yet to watch David Attenborough's movie, um, A Life on Our Planet, partly because I expect that's going to be very upsetting, but I think it needs to be done. And, uh, you know, can't really go wrong with uh, David Attenborough, I think. Yeah, um, I struggle a bit with his stuff, not because they're not brilliant, but because when he gets to the sea and he gets under the ocean and we start seeing the strange creatures, I sort of start to get very nervous. The sea is my most feared place. Ah, because of Jaws. <laughs> because of Jaws, yes. Jaws is always, always responsible for my fear of the sea. Uh, so, listeners, now how are you feeling? Thank you for joining us. Um, we're in a range of emotions, but we all love films. So we're going to talk to you for a bit about films, because what else are we going to do right now? Uh, so first up, we've picked some of our favourite news items, some stuff that's jumped out for us. Uh, Vincent, if you can go first and tell us what you have picked as your news story of the month. Certainly. Well, I read a thing the other day, and then I clicked on a link in it and got to another thing, which was a story on um, Screen Rant um, by Cooper Hood, which is that Mike Flanagan, uh, the director uh, oh, and, the, and the creator of the Netflix series The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor, as well as the director of Gerald's Game and Doctor Sleep, would like to make a DC horror movie focused on the Batman villain Clayface. Now, when I saw this, I was kind of, um, I was excited about it for a number of reasons. Um, I'm not overly familiar with the character of Clayface himself. I did a bit of research into this, and as is often the case with comic book villains, it's had had multiple iterations. Uh, My only encounter with him was in the um, the um, Batman collected stories are Hush, uh, which I highly recommend. But Clayface seems like a terribly interesting character because he's one um, who is 
quite literally a war with his identity. He's somebody whose own appearance um, can't, is unstable. He try he can assume other appearances, but in doing so, he's kind of monstrous. So um, what this does is it, and this provides the opportunity, I think, for a for a tragic um, kind of story that can also be uh, deeply horrific. And I mentioned this before on the podcast that I think there are lots of links between superhero and horror narratives in that they are both tend to focus on figures who are at war with themselves, as I think Clayface cl- um, clearly would be, um, and also that they are very much between different worlds. You, know, you can have somebody who is got sort of one foot in the civilized world and another foot in a world of sort of chaos and anarchy um, and turn that into something where you've got the opportunity for body horror um, <clears throat> and identity horror. I think that's got a lot of interesting notions to it. Having said all of that, what makes me most excited about it is that in Flanagan, I trust. Um, I think all of us thought that the uh, doing a sequel to The Shining was a very tall order. But for my money, at least, Flanagan really pulled it off. Um, and I thought that The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor were both superb. So, yeah, I want to see Flanagan um, direct Clayface. At the moment, it is just, you know, something that's been uh, that Flanagan tweeted. He said uh, in a tweet, I would be really keen to do a standalone Clayface movie as a horror thriller tragedy. Um, you know, the ball's in uh, DC's court. And I hope that um, I, hope, I hope that they bring him on. So yeah, that's my news. Let's have the haunting of Clayface by, from Mike Flanagan. So Chloe, you're a fan of Flanagan, aren't you? What What do you think of this news? I mean, I would love to see anything he does, to be honest. And I mean, the idea of a kind of um, comics-based horror, like, for example, Swamp Thing was a series that I started and what, what I watched I really enjoyed. But obviously there wasn't much success in that, even though it's produced by James Wan, I believe. So I don't think it will ever happen, um, but it's something that would be really, really cool. Because, I mean, we can, we've can we seen that it works. And I, I especially love, like, even in something like Shazam, they had a little bit of horror in there. And it's like, oh, if we just did more of that, that'd be so cool. Um, and they, you know, they've been, DC have been getting more horror directors to do their films. So it's like, just continue with that, you know. Chloe, are you familiar with um, Brightburn? I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh, well. I think yeah. you'd like it. <laughs> cool. Uh, James, will you watch a Flanagan Clayface crossover? Um, Mike Flanagan is already someone whose work I'm just invested in no matter what he does. So the idea of him doing not only a DC film, but taking an underserved character in a lot in films and it's like catnip to me so and i think that's the way dc should try and distance themselves from marvel i mean they've tried doing the multi shared universe thing and that didn't work out so well so instead of trying to emulate what marvel did the it's a good idea for them to to take these characters who haven't been given the screen time and given their own standalone stories without having to worry about continuity, how it all connects. It's a nice idea. And well, whether it ever comes around is another story because DC have been notable for saying they're doing about 50 different projects and then about four will end up making it to the screen. 
but I think it's a nice idea and Mike Flanagan seems up for it. So what the hell are you waiting for, DC? This is literally the best thing that could happen um, to their stuff. Yeah, and and so I am a huge fan of Flanagan, as as we all are, and his he ability to take properties that you don't think would work and make them work is is remarkable. And I'm also a huge Batman fan, and the Batman stuff that I love that as as much as I get a kick from no Christopher Nolan's films and other things, I really enjoy it when they're a bit more gothic horror. So I really like about the Tim Burton films that there are these tinges of gothic horror in the grotesque penguin or in Jack Nicholson's Joker is quite gothic and again, horrid. So if they could do it and if they could make it work, I'd be very much up for it. I wasn't that into Todd Phillips Joker. So let's steer away from that. But I'm very into the idea of a, a more classic monster thriller movie in this mold. And I think it could work. And it does nicely bring me on to my news, which is, so I was going to talk about um, excitedly Fright Fest Glasgow and the Glasgow Film Festival, but the day we're recording this, they're telling us tomorrow what's going to be at those. So look out on your Twitter feed for those when you're listening to this, go off and find out what's playing at Fright Fest Glasgow, and I'm sure we'll talk about that next month. But this month, I'm going to talk about Universal Monsters that are coming to YouTube for a week. So in the next couple of days, there's going to be seven different classic Universal Monster movies from Dracula all the way to, bizarrely, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And so you're going to have Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, the Wolfman, the Invisible Man, and various other ones. And it'll be really exciting to watch these for free. They're on there for a week. And uh, I've seen a couple of them. I've never seen the Invisible Man, that version of it. I mean, I loved last year's Invisible Man, but I'd be very excited to see what the original is like. So go off onto the Universal YouTube channel and you'll find these great films and you can just enjoy some classic horror that uh, is just really fun to wallow in. Are you guys excited? Who's excited to watch some Universal Monsters? I'm um, I'm, I'm intrigued to watch them so I can sort of tick them off because I know I should. I have seen Todd Browning's um, Dracula and James Whale's um, Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein as well. But um, yes, having, you know, I, I also adored um, The Invisible Man last year. So to see the original would, I think, be uh, very interesting. Plus, um, I've always had a great um, affinity for werewolves, possibly because I'm quite hairy. Um, so the original, um, The Wolfman, I think would, um, so should, uh, you know, might, might, might be up my um, street. So yeah, I, I will certainly make a point of checking these out. Yeah, and some would argue that that like Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein are perhaps two of the great greatest films of their era in terms of horror. Uh, anyone else love a Universal monster or two? Oh yeah, I've made my way through a box set of the original Frankenstein films, and it's quite interesting to see how it goes, how they initially take that wonderful story, build upon it so well in Bride of Frankenstein, and then with each film, try to force another story and with more crossovers. So initially, it the Wolfman and Frank Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, Franken, House of Dracula, and all culminating with Abbott and Costello meeting the Universal Monsters, which is an interesting pairing. And But no, there's some 
excellent ones out there, which is definitely worth people's time, like uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon and The Wolfman. And as Vincent said, Todd Browning's Dracula. It's, there's a, oh, and The Invisible Man, especially. It's a wonderful selection. And even if you think, oh, do I really want to check out some old films? They're not that long. I think the longest they go to is about probably 80 minutes. It's you can really pack them in together and get a nice time going while schooling yourself on some um, classic history of cinema. It's a shame we don't get uh, Todd Browning's Freaks because that is a film like no other I've seen. Uh, Chloe, do you have a favourite or two? I mean, I was never really that bothered about watching classic horrors and stuff. I did watch a few James Wells ones in, I think, last year, just to like, because I wanted to learn more, a bit more about queer horror. Um, I'm still not that bothered about them, but I would say I absolutely love The Invisible Man. Um, easily my favourite, Bride of Frankenstein being second. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm going to watch them because I have to, just for like the sake of educating myself. But um, I would say nothing can really beat that one for me. I and I do like it. They're short, though, as James said. They're nice and short and sweet, just as I like it. So, yeah. James, what is your news of the month? Okay, so think if you think back to early to early twenty tens and the TV show Dexter, which as of now was it was quite big at the time. As of now, you tend to think it had an excellent fourth season. And a rubbish ending, which is fair enough that both those things are deserved. So the show is coming back, as most shows seem to do nowadays. And it seems to be trying to make up for such a, well, shall we say, at best divisive end to a seven to an eight season story. And they've announced that the main villain that our serial that Dexter Morgan will be contending with is going to be played by none other than Clancy Brown. That's right. We're going to get a serial killer against Mr. Krabs himself. Yes. I want you all to picture that because it's a glorious image. (laughs) Now he's going to play the mayor of Iron Lake, a man who realized the American dream by driving big rigs. He's described as someone you're, you're blessed to you're blessed. If you, he has your back, but God help you if you ever cross him. And having such a wonderful actor with an astounding voice, he's played a role, you're certain he's going to bring the menace and and even a bit more humanistic moments as the show could do in its best times. And it's got the original showrunner from The Good Years, and after that ending, it's all uphill from here. So did any of you watch Dexter back in the day? What do you think of this news? I confess I never did watch Dexter. Um, There's so many shows and that one kind of passed me by. But um, it is, as you say, uh, James, interesting that so many things are getting, you know, relaunched, rebooted, um, reconfigured, repackaged. Um, So I will be interested to hear from fans like yourself as to what uh, uh, the the new version of Dexter rewards or um, confounds your hopes and expectations. I've watched uh, a few seasons of Dexter. I don't know at what point I stopped. I don't think I got to the big moment. There's like a moment, is it halfway through the run? So like at the end of series four where 
someone prominent is killed off. I don't think I got to that point. I might have stopped the series before, but um, I would be very interested to see if it is good. I'm not sure if I'd watch it because I, I'm really bad at keeping up with TV shows. I've never finished Breaking Bad and I've never watched Game of Thrones. And these are like the huge shows of our generation. And I've just not ever finished or watched them. But I, I love Clancy Brown. I love him for Spongebob. I also really enjoyed the Mortary Collection, which came out last year. And he is the lead character in that. And it's on Shudder. So go off and seek that out. So I'm more than excited for Clancy Brown to be given a prominent role in something because he's great. Our final piece of news is from Chloe. Chloe, what is your piece of news? I've got some news about a Netflix horror film, which usually I wouldn't be excited about, but I have some reasons for looking forward to this one. So a synopsis was released for this film that's coming up. It's not specified a date yet, but it's going to be this year. Um, it's called There's Someone Inside Your House, and it's about a girl who moves into a small town, um, but from the um, as the countdown to graduation begins, her classmates are stalked by a killer, um, who wants to expose the secrets and she has to kind of find out who it is before she's the target. Um, it's based on a novel and the script was actually written by the Shazam writer. Um, and as I said earlier, like the horror moments in Shazam were pretty cool. Um, and it's also going to be directed by the guy who did Creep and Creep 2, um, Patrick, uh, Patrick Bryce, I think his name is. Um, and it's also produced by James Wan's company. So I am like, as I said, typically don't like Netflix films unless it's Mike Flanagan specifically usually but I'm kind of looking forward to this one yeah and and I've seen the first creep and the first creep is one of the better found footage films it's it's genuinely quite unnerving and a bit upsetting its last act it's it's a really clever film so I'd be intrigued I know that Netflix released a trailer for like their plan to have a new film each week for the entirety of this year which is exciting like they've got things like rl stein's fear streets getting a couple of films and uh there's a few other horror things that are popping out so if netflix released some good horrors i'd be very into it because there's a couple that are quite good i quite liked cam which uh is um a decent enough horror but then there's a fairly large number of netflix films that are not really worth your time yeah but I do think he'll bring a good vibe to this film, judging from the title of it. I think in Creep, he brought this really great like, feeling of not feeling safe in your own home. And I just think, just from the synopsis and like the title of this film, I think it's going to be a good fit. So I think it'd be pretty cool to look for. I'd agree. It sounds like a good um, fit. Um, it, it's certainly, I'm certainly intrigued and I will uh, look for it. Um, I think that um, Netflix is like any other um, producer and distributor. Some of its stuff works, some of it doesn't. Um, in terms of um, original uh, horror on Netflix, one of my top films of last year was um, the Netflix release His House, which I've spoken about on this podcast before. Um, so, you know, I, uh, I, 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 I was not overly enamoured with Creep. Um, I seem to be in the minority, but uh, well, they never stopped me before. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this certainly sounds like an interesting premise and uh, it'll be uh, um, worth looking at, I expect. Well, I'm sorry to continue to put you in the minority, Vincent, but I also loved Creep. I was really, well, appropriately, creeped out by it. And Cre I thought Creep 2 was also rather good. And it's a shame that Patrick Bryce doesn't seem to be able to finish off the trilogy as he intended, but I'll gladly take another film from him. And, 
in this form, and I very much look forward to it. Next up, we're going to give you some recommendations. There might be a Netflix or film or two in here. Let's find out. So this is our something old, something new, and something not a movie section. So first up, Chloe, what are your recommendations this month? So my something old. I'm not saying this film is good, per se. It's not. But I kind of found some weird enjoyment in it. It's The Roommate from 2011. And honestly, when I looked up when it was made... I couldn't believe it because it looks like it was made in 2002. Um, it's about this girl who goes off to college and she gets like this kind of crazy obsessive roommate who's played by Leighton Meester um, from Gossip Girl. And it's just, there's so many like people in this that you'll recognize and just be like, this really does feel like a 2000s movie. Um, there's fedoras, there's scarves, you know, it's just, it's, it's like, it feels like not a lot happens, but yet it does. And it's kind of hard to explain why I like it. But yeah, that's that's all I'm going to say about that one. You kind of have to see it for yourself. My something new is going to be Spree, which I think came out in December. It's starring Joe Keery, I think his name is, from Stranger Things. And he's basically this live streamer guy who wants to get more views. He goes on a killing spree. And it's very on the nose, but I think it's going to be quite a hit or miss film. It seems to be quite divisive upon, upon people. But um, I quite enjoyed it. I think it was kind of fun and kind of very over the top and I quite like that about it. My something little film, I've kind of taken a bit of a liberty here but it's kind of more of a spy than horror related thing. I watched the live stream of Lazarus the other day, um, the David Bowie musical that was recorded from like years ago. It was weird. <laughs> like I couldn't tell you a goddamn thing that happened in that and yet it was kind of great. Like it was very sci-fi, I think it was based on the film that he was in um, obviously some great music, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's showing again, but if you get a chance to watch it, I'd recommend it. I mean, I love David Bowie, so I'll watch anything to do with David Bowie, except that strange film that they're going to release that doesn't have any of his music in it. Ooh. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's called Stardust, and... Oh yeah, oh no, I heard about they, this, it's very controversial. Yeah, they couldn't get any of the music, so it's sort of like his life in spirit? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Vincent, what are your recommendations for the month? Well, my something new is, um, and maybe I'm stretching the rules here a bit as well, because my something new is a film called By Night's End. And I'm stretching the rules because actually getting hold of this may be a bit tricky. It's not actually had a release yet in the UK, um, but if you're listening in the US, you, you can access it on Google Play and Amazon. So hopefully it will come on to... Uh, be accessible in Britain and other parts of the world before too long. By Night's End is a really intense thriller, and it relates to a topic that we'll discuss later on. Um, and um, it's the type of thriller that very much tips into horror territory because um, it's a home invasion film. It's got um, <clears throat> it takes the, the idea of home invasion. I think is a deeply 
deeply um, disturbing one. Um, and By Night's End treats it in a, in a way that I found genuinely surprising. I found it gripping. I jumped a few times. Um, <clears throat> it's also quite progressive, I think, in its gender and racial politics. Um, when it needs to be, it's pretty nasty. And it's also got a proper emotional and moving core. Um, I won't say, you know, anything about it beyond, you know, it is a home invasion film concerning a couple who have a difficult history um, and it makes certain, um, it's got a a kind of a socioeconomic political backdrop, which is mentioned, but not um, overstated. And then when it gets into its proper invasion thrills and scares, it, it does not hold back. Um, I particularly am pr- promoting this because I interviewed the director, um, Walker Whited. Um, you can find my review um, of the film and my interview with um, Walker Whited um, is on the website, The Critical Movie Critics. Um, should be coming up in the next week or so. Um, and, when the f- and when the film comes out, I do recommend you check it out by night's end. In terms of something um, old and classic, um, I am going to go for The Terminator, um, which is available on Amazon Prime. Now, this I have um, an int- this is an interesting one that why I came to this. Um, I love the Terminator. It's like one of my um, you know, central films that got me into understanding film as a critical um, as a critical medium, and I would rank James Cameron as my number one director. Um, but I didn't think of the Terminator as a horror film because I didn't used to like horror films. I thought of it it's it's science fiction and it's action. However, having heard this film discussed in well. Um, various different places, one of which I think will be mentioned later on, um, there are a lot of horror elements. For one thing, um, there, there's a lot of parallels one could draw between the figure of the Terminator. I am, of course, specifically referring to the 1984 film, The Terminator. The sequels are their own thing, but I'm just talking about the original. Um, there are clear parallels, I think, between the Terminator and your standard slasher killer, um, Michael Myers, um, and the Terminator could. Um, well, we'd probably have uh, quite the contest, I think. Um, but what's notable, of course, is it doesn't feel like a slasher because using a gun, and you tend to think of slashers, well, they slash, they use knives and uh, machetes and so on. Um, but, the, but the Terminator is a relentless killing machine like Michael Myers, comes into people's houses and kills them like Michael Myers, targets women like Michael Myers, and uh, operates and is pretty much unkillable like Michael Myers. So I think there's a lot of horror elements in in terms of the film's structure. Furthermore, it's also got some interesting body horror elements. Um, Spoilers for a film that's nearly 40 years old, which is slightly terrifying. Um, One of the opening scenes, when the Terminator first appears, he kills someone by shoving his fist right through them. Um, And then later on, there's a scene of um, self-surgery, which is also kind of pretty horrific in terms of stabbing into one's own arm and eye. So I think there's a fair bit of um, body horror as well as slasher horror within the film. Furthermore, let's be fair, the whole idea of a nuclear holocaust and, you know, rise of the machines and um, then living in a post-nuclear um, Holocaust, post-nuclear wasteland is pretty horrific in its own right. There's a line when Sarah Connor, played by Linda Hamilton, has, says in reference to the future, your world is pretty terrifying. But you know what? What we see in The Terminator is a pretty terrifying contemporary world as well. So my classic is The Terminator, described quite well on it on the DVD blurb cover as the thing that won't die and the nightmare that won't end. In terms of something that is horror but not a film, I recommend Stephen King's 
Christine. Um, now, Christine was the most recent um, Stephen King novel that I read. I previously read Carrie and Misery and The Shining. Um, but the thing that Christine, I was slightly dubious about. I picked it up at like a charity store on a train platform um, a year or two ago. Um, and I don't like cars and I don't, I'm not really into music. I know that sounds weird, but I, I'm simply not. I, I like the music I like, but I don't think of music as a thing that I'm into. And just, and what's interesting about Christine is that it is very much interested in the uh, petrol head or the motorhead, you know, the kind of the car nut, um, as well as it's got um, a very, um, it's, it's very much, you know, sort of marinated in a certain type of, um, uh, I guess, driving songs, um, a lot of rock and roll. I'm amazed that um, Stephen King was able to get the rights for all the song lyrics included in the book. But here's the thing, even though, uh, music culture and especially car culture is not something I connect with. I could not put Christine down. Um, it is, you know, it is a very engaging story about, you know, teenagers and um, growing up and friendships changing and, you know, growth of um, other types of relationships. Um, and also the sense of, you know, kind of twisted associations. And the idea of a car being, you know, sentient and malevolent and vicious is on the one hand it sounds like many a horror concept kind of absurd but on the other hand is actually pretty scary because like hang on a minute if that car decides to run me down it moves faster than I am and it's a hell of a lot stronger than I am so I was impressed with how um, how much I enjoyed Christine and um, I do recommend it very much. Yeah I, I quite like um uh, John Carpenter's take on Christine. I don't know if it's how it is to the book, but it's a pretty fun '80s uh, horror movie. I agree with yeah. that. I saw I saw Christine not that long ago as well, and um, yeah, the, the the film is a lot more stripped down than the book is. But what do you expect from John Carpenter? I think they do different things, but they do them equally effectively. So my choices for this month, my something old is a film that's popped up on Now TV and is the epitome of the late '90s meta horrors it's the faculty which is robert robert rodriguez's take on uh, invasion of the body snatchers he relocates it to a high school and it has perhaps the most late 90s of cast there's clee devall josh hartnett summer hayek uh usher john stewart before he is john stewart elijah wood and linking us sort of back to vincent's pick None other than the Terminator himself, Robert Patrick, pops up in a role. And I haven't watched this in years, but I'm going to this weekend because all I can remember about this film is having the most fun of it. I remember it being this wonderfully late 90s sci-fi horror. And I, I it's sacrilegious to say this, but I have fond memories of this and I do have Scream. I came to Scream sort of later than other people did, but this is one I definitely remember watching at the time. Uh, my something new is a film that I've already talked about on a on a other snake bite horror uh, podcast because it played at the August Fright Fest. It's twelve hour shift, which finally comes out in the UK at the end of this month, and it's Brie Grant's blackly funny, wonderfully constructed crime thriller. And I'm not sure if it's a horror. It's kind of a horror, but it's not. And it's about a um, nurse who's doing a double shift in the end of the 90s and she also is running an organ trafficking uh scheme 
and her cousin manages to lose a kidney that they're selling. So she has to, over the course of 12 hours, find another kidney to sell. And it has these great performances by its cast. And Brie Grant is a really great director and writer. And this is just a perfect way for you to be introduced to her work. She also wrote Lucky, which I also called another Fright Fest one, and that hopefully will pop up somewhere, maybe on Shudder soon. But yeah, you should definitely check out 12 Hour Shift because it's kind of woozy and neon and goes its own pace. And I had so much fun with this film. Um, My something not a film, and it it is a a lot of the reason why I love horror as much as I do is because I listen to this podcast. This is the Evolution of Horror podcast, which is now, I think, six seasons in. And each season takes a different subgenre and goes right back to the start and goes through. Uh, and picks out key films. So they're doing a body and mind series right now, which it has been quite sprawling and big because those two concepts take in so much. So you get Cronenberg, you get Lynch, you get even Eli Roth pops up. And the last couple I've listened to, so I've listened to, there's this great episode that looks at um, uh, sexploitation uh, thrillers from the late 80s into the 90s so the likes of basic instinct all the way to showgirls uh there's a great episode where they talk about audition and old boy and old boy's one of my favorite uh ever films because I, I think it's marvelous and i've just listened to the eli roth double where they uh managed to talk about two films that i think are pretty naff i have no time really for cabin fever and hostel and they talked about them in a way that made me engaged and kept me listening and they've announced a patron for their next season which is is going to be all things aliens and i for one cannot wait to see what they're going to talk about next it's run by mike munzer who is is a wonderful host and it's a warm lovely podcast and it's very friendly and open i find about what horror is horror is for everyone and that's why we're here talking about horror and it's why you should check out the evolution of horror podcast and James, what are your recommendations? Well, my first recommendation, my something old, is a quite a good little thriller called Roadkill, which is also known as Joyride in other territories. It's a 2001 film directed by John Dahl, and funnily enough, written and produced by a little-known figure called J.J. Abrams. Now, it stars Paul Walker as this college student who's looking to go on a road trip, and along for the ride is his prankster brother, played by Steve Zahn, Desh, and Paul Walker's love interest, played by Lily Sob- Sobieski. And while they're on this road trip, Steve Zahn uses the CB radio within the car to play a prank on a trucker who goes by the handle of Rusty Nail. And the unfortunate thing is the trucker is actually a vicious murderer who's out to get revenge. And what really makes this story this story work is you got this central trio who make believable characters and form relationships that you're easily invested in so that when you get the dread the dreading tension come through which it really does come through you you care about their outcome and you want to see what's going to happen to them and what helps is that there's this mystique around Rusty Nail, which helps to build the tense moments and make some effective red herrings. 
and it's a wonderful little film which deserves more views. Think of it as a better version of Jeepers Creepers without some of the more problematic elements. And the film is available to stream on Amazon Prime right now. My something new is is a film from last year called The Vigil. And it's about Yaakov, this man who left his Orthodox Jewish community, who agrees to sit vigil over a dead body in order to earn some money. And while he's doing that, he finds himself facing a malevolent entity which is preying on his feelings of guilt and grief which have manifested within. And what you got is this unsettling chamber piece which unfolds over one night. And it's pretty much a one-man showcase for Dave Davis, who plays Yakov, And he does such a good job conveying how, how broken this character feels. And it's also this creepy little film which shows that religious horror doesn't have to be limited to Christianity, which is nice for everybody. Come on, expand your taste a bit. It's not all about the crosses and the Jesus and that. And that's available to stream on Netflix. And my something horror that isn't a film, I'm going to go for a BBC anthology series called Inside Number Nine. It's written by and starring Reese Shearsmith and Steve Pemberton, the excellent minds who are behind such classics as The League of Gentlemen and Psychoville. And what you got is think... Think a more grounded version of Black Mirror because you've got these half-hour episodes which each tell their own self-contained story and you've got different casts coming in to each episode apart from Shearsmith and Pemberton who play prominent roles and do it so well. And the only thing which links each episode is that the number nine will somehow pop up. And each episode, it can range in tone and setting So in one week, you can have a 17th century witch trial. The next, you can have a funny little farce about about playing a prank on grandma's birthday. And and in the following episode, a call center setting, which is just viewed through a video feed. And when the episodes are hilarious, they're side-splitting. When they're lean towards horror, they're bone-chilling and it excels whatever it does, and there's usually some kind of inventive twist to go with it. Now, the first four seasons are available on BBC iPlayer and Now TV. Odd that the fifth season isn't, but but every episode is available on Sky Go, so I recommend checking out while you're checking out and just having a nice little time with this wonderful little series. They are... Some of the episodes are fantastic. I particularly like i think it was the second one they ever did which is um i forget which what it's called but it's about two people breaking into a house and they can't make any noise and it's a near dialogue free half hour and it's just the those two creatives give themselves such challenges and knock it out of the park most times and i i bask in their phenomenal talent I think that episode's called A Quiet Night In. I think it is too. I think you're right. So yeah, so those are our recommendations for this month. Go off and watch those films, TV shows, listen to those podcasts. There's plenty there to keep you busy for the next month before we pop up with more recommendations. 
But before we go, we're going to do, do one more set of recommendations. We're going to pick our three favourite single location movies. So as we're all stuck in one place, be it a flat, a house, or you know, a caravan, wherever you are, you're in a single location. So we thought we'd pick the films that uh, do this the very best. And James, you're going to go first of your picks, aren't you? I suppose I am. Okay, my first pick is a little film called Cube. And the idea is you've got these group of people who are trapped within a series of cubes and they've got to make their way to the exit. They've got to find it through this veritable maze before dehydration and hunger gets to them. And the trick is they have to be careful which cubes they choose to step inside because they may contain deadly booby traps. And there's one moment which involves a cube that's sound sensitive and it is so heart stopping. It's a thrilling little flick and it's got such an inventive concept uh, that it does so well to realise. And my second choice is known to Frightfest fans as the film which played instead of a Serbian film. It's Buried and the premise is very simple. It, Ryan Reynolds is trapped in a coffin. He awakens in it to find that he's been buried alive and all he has on him is a lighter and a mobile phone. And the question comes, is he going to be saved or not? And this film really knows the meaning of the word tense as it really rings out the situation. And it's such a compelling tale. And I think this is, if not Ryan Reynolds' best performance, it's definitely one of them. It's such a good film. And and my last film is Green Room from Jeremy Saulnier. And the premise is about a, you got this punk rock band who take a gig and what it turns out to be is that they're playing for a club full of Nazis. And while they're there, they stumble upon a murder and they become trapped in a green room in a sort of assault on precinct 13 kind of scenario where they're trying to keep out the skinheads who want to essentially eliminate all witnesses. And this is such a horrifying film. And Saulnia is a really good director for, and this is probably his best work. At, and there are some scenes which are so grim that they've firmly stuck in my mind. And and let's be honest, it's always good to see Nazis getting what they fucking deserve. Mm-hmm. Chloe, what are your picks? Um, my first one is. Um, actually a pretty recent one. I think it came out in October, which I cannot believe it feels like it came out years ago. Scare Me um, on Shudder, which is written and directed by Josh Rubin. He also stars in it as well um, with Aya Cash, who everyone will know from The Boys. Um, and it's just them in a cabin, like telling stories to each other. It's not like it's not like an anthology or anything or a portmanteau film. It's literally them just telling stories to each other and acting them out themselves. Um, and while it kind of, isn't for everyone because it is kind of like you're watching theater kids just doing their thing um i think it was pretty fun and interesting and a cool concept um especially for a low budget film um and it also kind of discusses these like prevalent topics in the horror community right now like sexism comes up and stuff like that and i think it was pretty cool um and then also the belco experiment this is an older one written by james gunn which is one of those workplace horrors a lot of people get stuck in this big building and they're told to kill each other off like the Hunger Games. Um, and it has John Gargo Jr. in it, who I love to see in things, you know? He was also in 10 Cloverfield Lane, so 
I think he's cool and I think he should be in more things. Uh, my last one is Dread, which is very similar to The Raid, but <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess Judge Dread takes his trainee to a building to take down a drug gang and Lena Headey is really good in it, has really cool visuals, sick fight scenes. I love it. Vincent, what are your picks? My picks, um, I'm going to go through them in terms of space because all of them involve are single locations, but in each case, the location is larger. Um, this ties back to what I was saying earlier. I mentioned the film By Night's End. Um, that's a home invasion, funnily enough, set in one location, a home. And um, I've seen quite a few of this past year, um, and I think it sounds as though quite a few of us have. It's it's almost as though you know being trapped in a single location somehow chimes with our own experience. I can't imagine why that would be. So to begin with, the first one I'm going to, to mention is Bug from 2006, directed by that great doyen of horror, William Friedkin. Now, Bug is a <clears throat> pretty much a two-hander. Um, it stars Michael Shannon, um, one of his early roles, actually, and Ashley Judd in a you know, unusual type of role for her. Um, essentially, what they happen is uh, they are two people in alone in a motel room. Um, then they're not trapped there, except by their own minds. Um, <clears throat> they over the course of the um, time that they are in this motel room, they essentially become convinced that they are infested with bugs, um, bugs that are kind of um, plants um, from the from the government that they're being spied upon the whole time. And their paranoia um, escalates, it turns into fear, it turns into suspicion, it turns into this weird, you know, very needy, um, interdependent relationship. It's it's very, very compressed, both in terms of space, but also time. I mean, it's based on a play by uh, Tracy Letts. Um, and as a result, it's um, as if you if you ever notice this in relation to films that are based on plays, they'll often have longer scenes and they will proceed more often than not in real time. Um, and that's, I think, what, um, <clears throat> what happens in Bug. It is it is it takes place in a pretty short stretch of time. But over the course of this, frankly, you wouldn't want to be there any longer, not because the people are horrible, but because what they go through, what they put themselves through, what they endure, what where they come out at the end, which I won't spoil, um, is so intense and so mad and so um, ugh, terrifying that you're just like, ah, 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 oh, God, is it over? Oh, oh, I need to go outside. Oh, damn it. So bug. I highly, highly recommend. Um, the next one I'm going to mention is the <coughs> is the film Inside or L'Interieur. Referencing what was said earlier, the Evolution of Horror podcast has prompted me to check out a bunch of films that I hadn't thought to do so previously, including some from the French from the New French Extremity. Inside is one of the most grueling and intense films that I have ever seen. I mean, it takes, I consider myself now a fairly hardened horror viewer, but blimey Charlie, watching Inside, I was like, I know, very, very descriptive terms there. 
Um, it's um, set primarily in a house. I mean, there's a few other scenes um, elsewhere in the first um, heart, in, in the first act, but the bulk of it takes place in a house involving these two women. You have a um, <clears throat> a pregnant mother whose home is invaded. There's that. There's that thing again by another woman who's come to take her baby, and uh, the the mother doesn't know anything about this other woman. Um, and it's interesting that it kind of breaches various sort of taboos because I think we have a notion of babies, especially unborn babies, as they are. They have a place in our culture as being somewhat sacrosanct. Um, so to see like you know big bladed scissors heading towards a pregnant belly and indeed piercing it and then another scene where the pregnant woman is actually getting brutally beaten um, is pretty grim but even beyond that um, this is a film that does not skimp on its gore I think it's something that's I've heard some say that if you're seeing violence that is kind of more relatable, um, such as some kind of household appliance being used against you and, you know, penetrating flesh, then that can be a lot more disconcerting than something, you know, more dramatic, like, I don't know, a chainsaw. So in that respect, uh, Inside was an absolutely, um, you know, horrific watch and yet, of course, I recommend it. <laughs> um, I've seen a couple of other French extremity, new French extremity films, um, Martyrs, yeah, yeah, um, and Trouble Every Day. Martyrs is the one with the really, really strong reputation. But you know what? I think I found Inside even more uh, brutal. So that's my second one. And my third one is much older. It's actually as old as me, um, 42 years um, old this year. And that is Alien. Alien is takes place in a much larger space, of course, because it happens on this enormous um, spacecraft. Um, and I think the that aspect of Ridley Scott's Alien um, sometimes gets overlooked. We remember the alien creature itself, the xenomorph, and how horrific that is, as well as the um, sh- uh, alien craft, um, the designs by H.R. Giger. But I think the Nostromo deserves a lot of um, attention as well, because that is the ultimate haunted castle. Um, I mean, there are scenes in that where you've got, um, the space is both um, vast and cavernous and yet deeply claustrophobic. And you've got like water dripping and all these sort of chains. And I suppose it's some sort of mining equipment, but it doesn't matter. The point is it's there to look fucking freaky. And frankly, no wonder the the xenomorph is so at home when it gets there, because that was a, a castle just waiting for a monster. So yes, my... Um, those are my three recommendations for single location horror movies, Bug, Inside and Alien. If you watch those in a triple bill, you may never want to go inside again. And finally, my trio are a trio that all begin with R. So the first one is The Raid, which is Gareth Evans' uh, phenomenal action film. And it is essentially the same plot as Dread. They came out within months of each other and it was one of those classic examples where two films that are basically the same film get released. A Dread is, is another great film, and uh, The Raid is a lot of fun. It's all in one tower block as these cops try to get through it to get to the top to take out a kingpin, and it's it's a much harder task than they think it's going to be, but it's great. And the sequel is also great, but it doesn't fit this because the sequel is sprawling in a way that the original is tight and focused 
My next is Rope. So Alfred Hitchcock has a couple of films that are all set in one location. I was tempted to use Rear Window because, uh, for my mind, Rear Window is a better film. But Rope is is a really interesting film because it, it, Hitchcock is attempting to shoot this as if it's one take. So he shoots each sequence for as long as a reel is, and then we'll pull into someone's body or pull into a piece, and then the camera will move away from that person, and that's the change of the reel. And it's about a pair of students trying to get away with murder, essentially. And uh, Jimmy Stewart's in the mix, and he is wonderful in this film. He's wonderful in all of Hitchcock's films. It's He does some of his, his best work with Hitchcock. And my final pick is a film that's just had an Arrow release. So it's getting the kind of beautiful picture and sound it deserves. It's the Spanish found footage horror, Wreck, which is, again, all set in an apartment block. And it's about a film crew that go uh, on a on a standard trip with some firefighters. They're doing this segment where they're filming firefighters about their job. And then the, as we've all experienced, the <laughs> flat goes into lockdown and it's very apparent that something is not right in this place. And it all builds towards what is perhaps 15 of the tensest, scariest, most effective horror minutes that you'll see at the end. And the ending is, is for me, one of the great horror endings. So those are my three R's. You'll have a lot of fun with all of those films. They're all in one location and they're all really interesting and great films. Mama is not the law. I am the law. Mama is a common criminal. Guilty of murder. Guilty of the manufacture and distribution of an archive known as Slomo. And as of now, under sentence of death, any who obstruct me in carrying out my duty will be treated as an accessory to our crimes. You have been warned. And as for you, Mama, judgment time. So that's been this month's edition of Invasion of the Body People. Uh, but where can you find us? So you can find me at Russ Loves Movies on Twitter. I also have a podcast called Not Just for Kids. And we are looking right now at the works of, of Steven Spielberg with episodes on Back to the Future and Jurassic Park coming in the next few weeks. And we've covered the likes of Hook, Jaws and uh, Gremlins all recently. Plus, we've also had an episode on Cats of two of the people here, which I still don't understand what the hell Cats is. But give it a listen. It's a really good episode. Uh, James, where can people find you? If you're not sick of me, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at RoddersJ04. Follow me for film takes, um, opinions, and doggo picks. And then I'm also at thereviewingrodders.co.uk for reviews, podcast appearance, pretty much anything I do is on there. And yeah, check it out. And Chloe, where can we find you? I'm on Twitter at ChloeDev196 and I'm on the Snakebite podcast sometimes <laughs> and also Russell's podcast sometimes. And yeah. And finally, Vincent, where can we find you? 
where you may find me rocking back and forth in some kind of fetal position. But otherwise, you can locate find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dr. Gain. That's D-R-G-A-I-N-E. You can also find my reviews on the Critical Movie Critics, as well as Snakebite Horror, and my own um, reviews and commentary on Vincent's views. Lovely. And we will all be back in some form next month to talk to you again about horror movies. But for the time being, stay safe, have fun, and watch a lot of movies.